0: Well, this morning we, are, uh, we have a lot of different components to our worship service this morning, so I'm going to start with a brief message uh, talking about what the Bible says about pastors, since we're ordaining Toby today. Um, a, there are a lot of passages in Scripture that address the issue of what a pastor is, um, and that's in somewhat contrast to the, a lot of the ideas out there about what a pastor is. Uh, I think for all of us, pastors included, there are certain expectations and assumptions that we bring to the role of a pastor, and there's all sorts of models that maybe we've been familiar with. Um, some of the models, for example, there's there's the kind of traditional model you see this maybe in older denominations, where the pastor is kind of seen as the guy who is kind of the the, the guy who brings comfort and spiritual you know leadership and ceremony sort of thing. So so he's the guy who brings a heartwarming message on a Sunday. He he leads religious services. He visits people when they're sick. Uh, he's there for key moments in life, baby dedications, baptisms, weddings, funerals, and, and, and serves in that role. So it's kind of a pastor as comforter and, and, and a ceremony leader. That's kind of an idea out there. That's one of the ideas and one of the expectations that we might have about pastors. Uh, then the, kind of on the other end of the scale are, are the models that That are probably derived more from not tradition but the business world. And you see this often in very young churches and young denominations, where the pastor is the mover-shaker. He's the guy that that builds the organization, gets people in the door, gets them motivated, gets them trained, gets them busy, keeps them happy, and it just kind of keeps on doing that, builds builds the organization better, bigger, wealthier, and so forth. And that's kind of the pastor as CEO. And that's a model out there. Have, Have you guys seen these sort of models at all, or are they models that maybe have operated in your, in your thinking? A newer idea that's out there is the, the pastor kind of as uh, the guy that is a facilitator. He's not an authority figure because people have a problem with authorities. Uh, they don't want an authority figure because, you know, they've had trouble in the past, and they don't want to be misled or dominated in any way. So the pastor is, is a, a facilitator. And he's there to help the church, kind of be the church, and yet he doesn't bring any sort of authority in that. And and so it's kind of the pastor as the non-pastor. That's a newer model that actually is there in certain churches. Now, all these three models, all these three expectations have truth in them. Um, But there's also enough error in each one of them to get us into some real trouble. God doesn't leave us alone to figure out what a pastor ought to be. He doesn't leave, leave us to models from traditions or the corporate world or just new ideas, a postmodern world and so forth. He gives us his word. And his word needs to shape and define how we understand what a pastor is. And So for all of us, we need to, to come to his word and, and to study it, understand it, and to really seek to walk in, in accordance to it. So I'm going to share one passage, and there will be some other passages you'll hear. All of these are intended by God to inform us about what a pastor is and, and, and how he is to conduct himself, who he's supposed to be. So let me pray, and we'll look at God's Word and learn from, from Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and thank You, Lord, today as we look at Your Word through multiple speakers that, uh, that You teach us, and You change us, and we would understand better Your plan and Your designs and what You want to do. And Lord, uh, You'd help us as a local church to be stronger as a result and more like You, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God who speaks to us. Speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, one of many verses on pastoring. It says, starting in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended... What does it mean that, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 7-13. And it helps if the pastor remembers to put his mic on. Sorry. Yeah. It doesn't work when it's underneath my jacket. Sorry. That explains a lot. Yeah. At one point, I'm like, where is that thing that's normally in my ear? It's not here.
1: Um,
0: so this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us a lot about pastoring. Uh, there are... Three things I think it teaches us. First, that pastors are a gift to the church. They're a gift to the church from the ascended Christ. Second, pastors are given to equip the church. And thirdly, the church is to do the ministry thus equipped to build the church up to be like Jesus. So those three things, pastors are a gift, they equip, and the goal is that the church would be like Jesus. Could you say it in a sentence? Pastors are a gift from God to the church, for our greatest good. So, so let's dig into the passage and learn that. So uh, if you could just, great, you keep that up there. Uh, if you read through, you'll see that each of us has been given grace according to the measure of the Christ's gift. It, it, we are in the church. He gives gifts to the church from Christ. They come, these gifts that we receive come via the ascended Christ. That's important to understand in all this, that, that all the gifts in the church, all everybody comes with gifts, that it's all from Jesus, it's all from the ascended Christ. And actually, Paul quotes from Psalm 68 here. And if you took time to read Psalm 68, you would read it and you would realize it's a psalm celebrating God's victory and his victorious return to his city and his sanctuary, the place where they worship. So it's a psalm about celebrating his victory, and basically a victory parade into the city and into the temple. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus fulfills this psalm. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this victory and this victory parade. That through his life, through his perfect obedience and love to the Father and love to others, through laying down that life in love, uh, to rescue others, laying that down that life and going to the cross. Dying on that cross, shedding His blood, bearing the holy justice of God for our sins. Uh, in that, in what Jesus did, He conquered sin. He provided forgiveness for us. He, he stood in our place on that cross, paying the penalty we deserve to pay in our rebellion against God. Whether our rebellion is, is blatant and terrible and obvious to all, and... just the worst it could be, or subtle, just a subtle self-righteousness and self-pride, whatever type of rebellion it might be, Jesus went to the cross to to pay for that in His death on that cross, should we trust Him. But that's not where it ended. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death. The, The very worst problems that we face are all rooted in sin and death. And Jesus overcame that. He overcame the world. He overcame the, 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 worst, the, the worst situation, the worst reality that there is, really the, the background to all the woes of the world, he solved in his death on the cross, dying for our sins that we might be forgiven and reconciled to God because that's the core of our, of our problem is that we've been broken in our relationship with God. We're separated from him. And so he died to pay for our sins and bring redemption. Redemption to all who believe and ultimately redemption to the whole creation. For he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, and then ascended, and he's reigning from heaven now, working through his church, and and working so that the world would be affected through his church by this good news, and in the end he will return. And he will reign forever. There will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more sin. That's the the story of the Bible. That's the story of the victory parade that Psalm 68 is talking about. Jesus did all this. He's ascended into heaven, and he's, he's... uh, won a victory in that. There's a celebration of his victory. And the, and the passage we're looking at says, "When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So this is like a parade, a victory parade, where he leads a host of captives. Who are the captives that he's leading to heaven? They're all the people who he's won by his, his good news, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. It's, it's amazing to consider that, that he is a conqueror of a different sort. He conquers by losing, because he lost by giving his life on the cross. He, he gains by giving all. And so he leads all these captives with him, all those who have trusted in Christ and his good gift of his death on our behalf and his resurrection. So, if you are a believer, you're in that, you're in that parade as a captive. Uh, and he invites everybody to join that parade through faith and, and what he's done, turning away from ourselves and our sin and trusting in him. But in, in the parade also, he gives gifts to men. And what's really interesting is this, this victory parade, he's leading the captives that he's conquered by truth and love, and he's giving gifts to men in the parade. And in those days, when a general conquered, they would bring the captives behind, and they would distribute gifts to those who were on the parade route. Well, Jesus is doing that, but, but the gifts that he gives are actually the captives themselves. They're the people that he's won. He he wins them to himself. He captures them with his truth and love. And now he gives them grace to be a gift to the church. Each one of us has received grace. This passage is particularly talking about particular offices in the church. And among those different offices, one mentioned is the office of shepherd and teacher. It actually goes together. Uh, It's a a shepherd-teacher. That office goes together. This is a gift to... The church, from Jesus. So guys, as we ordain Toby today, what we're doing is we're recognizing this gift distributed from the Ascended Christ. It's kind of wild to think, but that's what's behind what we're doing today. It's not because we merely thought, hey, this would be a good idea. We like Toby. He's pretty good. He's got that cool British accent. So let's get him to be the pastor. Um, No. As he's come here with his family, we have recognized God's working in his life. And we've... Trusted God that he's calling him and then confirm that along the way and what we're doing as a church today is saying yes Lord we recognize this gift and we receive this gift and we as a church ordain him for what you have called him to do That's what's going on. So it's a gift from the ascended Christ. Uh, We should I think relate to it like Like kids along the line of the Santa parade. Uh, Have you guys been to the Santa parade? Who's been to the Santa parade? Okay, some of us. Uh, So Havel every year has the Santa parade and you walk through the parade, and, peep, and you give out candy. And the kids are, love it. They, they receive the candy. Well, this passage is the ultimate parade. It's Jesus' victory parade. And we are along the side, and we are receiving gifts. And the gift today is Toby Gainer as a pastor. And I think we ought to have the same attitude that little kids along the Santa Parade would have. Wow, this is great. Thank you. Uh, amen. <laughs> Um, The second point is that this gift is given to equip the church. So that is in our passage. We see it, that that they're to equip the church. So this gift of the pastor-teacher is to equip the church. It's to equip the saints, you see that in verse 12, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's a really important point to get, because sometimes we get the idea that a pastor is the guy that does the work. That he's the one who, who... does the building up of the body, and does all the work. He's the guy that gets out there and, you know, helps people and cares for the poor, preaches the word of God, um, you know, is, is doing all these things. He's the guy that does that, but that's not what the passage says. Actually, he's supposed to be the equipper of those who do the work. Who does the work? The saint. That's, now, in the scripture, when it says a saint, it just means someone who belongs to Jesus. So anyone who trusts in Jesus is called a saint. In Scripture, it just means you're set apart for Jesus. They're the ones. Everybody in the church, all the other folks, are the ones that do the ministry. The pastor equips them. He doesn't necessarily do that. Now, to some degree, there's things he does, but ultimately, all should be for the purpose of equipping the saints that they would do the work. That's really key to get. I I think of it like a coach. A pastor is a coach of sort. Maybe that's a, a metaphor that would help. Um, what's a coach's job? A coach's job is to prepare the team to win. Prepare the team that they would know their roles, that they would be equipped to go out and, and win. But the coach isn't on the field. Guys, you don't want to see Bill Belichick in his cut off uh, sweatshirt out there on the field trying to run the ball. Um, while Tom Brady's on the sidelines. You don't want to see that. It would be a massacre. A healthy church, the same thing. You don't want to see the pastor out there on the field. Sometimes, though, we come to church and are part of the church, and we think, well, I'm, I'm the guy on the bench and he's out there. No, it's the other way around. So Toby's call is to equip us and, and all of us. We as elders understand ourselves as part of the congregation as well. So today I'm, I am uh, with you, ordaining Toby as my pastor. And so his job is to equip us to do the work. That's important to understand. Third point um, is that the whole goal in all this is that the church would be like Jesus. It's really quite astounding that the goal in all this, so that this gift given to us to equip us, is to make the church like Jesus. You see that in the passage? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's profound. That's amazing. That we are actually to image Jesus. We're to look like Him and do His work. That's the goal, and that's the goal we're all invited into, uh, being part of the church, really any church. We do this as a local church, but really every church and the whole church together is to do this. We are to look like Jesus and be like Jesus to the world. When people encounter the church, they should encounter Jesus. They should encounter his truth. They should encounter his love. They should encounter his presence. That's the goal. So he gives these gifts to equip us that we might do the work that we would be like Jesus together. That's all of our responsibility to be doing this work to this incredibly noble goal. Uh, just last, uh, last week, this past week actually, Peg and I were down in the city and we drove through the Fens area near Fenway Park and they're building this big new building right near you know the Sears building that's there, this huge building called the Pierce Tower. Uh, it's 30 stories high it's, it's, and it's glass, it's beautiful. Uh, beautiful building they're putting up there. Uh, the, if you want a condo there, they're going at up to $6 million a piece, so they're affordable right now. Um, and it's just this beautiful building, and it just, I mean, I, I thought it was really cool, and, and I thought, what a, what a noble endeavor. Ma- imagine being the architect, you're, you're putting up this building, this gorgeous building, and it's going to be there for generations. People will enjoy it. Uh, but you know what? That building and that goal is not really anything compared to the goal that we have and the building we're building as the church. We are building the church to look like Jesus, to shine like Jesus. That the whole world will look and say, wow, I see Jesus. There's, there's really no better endeavor and that's what we're doing. And the ascended Christ who's died for us and shed his blood and, and has risen from the grave and is ruling now has given gifts that we can do this work. He's given gifts to equip us. He's given gifts to equip us to do this ultimate work of building up the body that it might reflect Jesus for his glory. That's what we're about today. That's what we're doing today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these truths. We thank you that you have given us a gift of Toby Gaynor. We thank you that you want to equip us through him. And we thank you that you want to build us up to look like you. Help us be glorified as we celebrate this and mark this today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to hear from a number of people this morning, friends and and uh, family uh, about Toby so that you would uh, understand how God's grace has been at work. So I want to invite uh, Josh Smith to come on up and, and share with us.
2: Good morning. So if you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I've been coming here for a while and I help Toby lead youth group. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that and how that came to be and some other things. But I um, I didn't meet the Gaynor family when a lot of you did. Um, when they moved here in the summer of 2014, I was working at a summer camp in Maine. The rest of my family helped them move into their house in Georgetown, and somehow, against all odds, they managed without me. Um, but after three years in Georgetown, um, the Gainers decided to move closer to the church and bought a house in Haverhill. And of course, wouldn't you know it, um, once again, their moving date fell on a time that I was away at camp. Um, so Pastor Paul asked me today if I could share some ways that I've seen God's grace through Toby. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind was that he never made me feel guilty for not dodging just one but two of his moving dates. Um, but in all seriousness, I've seen his grace demonstrated many times through our friendship. Um, as I previously mentioned, I was away for the summer of 2014 when Toby uh, and the rest of his family moved here. Um, when I came back from camping in the summer, many of you guys know Stephen, and Lauren Miller, um, who are now at Trinity. Um, they were our church's youth group leaders, and they were preparing to leave for the church plant. Um, so some of us, Toby, myself, um, Steve and Lauren, and a couple others, um, were meeting on a regular basis to discuss uh, the upcoming transition, transition in leadership. Uh, I don't know if Toby had any idea what he was getting himself into at the time um, but he was taking good notes uh, and he was asking good questions, which is probably more than 17 year old me could have said, Um, and if God hadn't yet placed the idea of youth group leadership on his heart, uh, it's clear that his heart was open uh, and he has fully embraced it. Um, Fast forward to now and Toby has faithfully served as the backbone of our youth group on Friday nights. He's managed to keep our youth group thriving with only the help of a couple inexperienced recent youth group graduates like myself. Uh, however, he's never looked down on the younger leaders because we were young. Instead, he's given us as much responsibility as we are willing to take. Under his supervision, he's allowed us to plan games, teach lessons, lead worship, and even create events. This, along with his positive encouragement and feedback, is developing future church leaders. This past week, Josiah Janelle taught the lesson, and next week our student band is going to lead worship. But don't get the wrong impression that he's delegated too much. Most Friday nights you'll find him giving a lesson, and he's also not above playing laser tag or attending our all-nighter event and staying up the entire night. Um, if staying awake all night with a rowdy group of 30 teenagers is an example of God's grace, then I don't know what is. Toby reminds me a little bit uh, of Joseph, To my knowledge, he's never been thrown into a pit or sold into slavery, but I have seen him be a faithful steward and demonstrate God's grace even when things aren't going perfectly. Joseph made the most of a tough situation by trusting God and using his wisdom to greatly benefit Egypt in the situation he was in. Joseph also took care of his family even when they let him down in a big way. Um, Toby came into my life right when I was about to help lead a group of kids I had just been part of only a year earlier. Uh, He could have chosen to treat me like a kid, but instead he sought out my advice uh, for youth group and trusted me with much responsibility. I am very grateful for the opportunity he gave me to grow uh, and the patience he has shown me along the way. He also asked to disciple me at a time when I needed it, even if I didn't know that I needed it. Like Joseph, I have seen Toby be a good steward of what God has entrusted him. Uh, And when things don't go according to plan, he has grace in abundance. It was God's grace uh, that Toby accepted the youth group ministry uh, leadership role that he has, and God's grace that has kept him directing this important ministry of our church. I know I speak for many others when I say that I am very grateful for his presence here at King Grace Church.
0: Thank you, Josh. Well, next I want to ask Kelly to come up, please, and share with us about your husband. Let's welcome Kelly.
3: I'm not quite as tall as Josh. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you are all here. Thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. I need to move this so I can actually see what I've written here. I'd like to tell you all a little story. It was early in the morning, April of 2008. I was eight months pregnant with our daughter, Eleanor, and I was sitting in my favorite chair with my Bible and my tea, ready to start the day. Toby was in his normal place at the dining table with his Bible and coffee, and he had been reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, and that morning he felt God clearly speak to him through a particular verse, so much so that he felt completely overwhelmed. That verse was Ecclesiastes 3.11, which reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That verse was the start of a new adventure for Toby and for our family. God would use this verse to cause Toby to desire to preach and tell others the good news of the gospel of Christ. It would lead him to approach our pastor at the time, and asked to be evaluated to see if he had the gifts required to one day become a pastor. It would lead him to become the leader of a small group learning how to love and serve the people of his church. It would lead him to approach his boss and ask if he could reduce his hours at work so that he could spend more time working alongside the pastoral team. It would lead us to move our six children from Maryland to Louisville, Kentucky for 10 months where Toby would attend the Sovereign Grace Pastors College full time where we would earn no income, with no sure plans of what would come after that. It would lead us here to Massachusetts and to King of Grace Church, and to today, celebrating the work that God has done in one man, who wants people to know what Jesus has done for them. This adventure of ours has not always been smooth sailing, but it's always the rough seas that show what kind of skipper is at the helm. Though a naturally skilled and capable man, Toby has proved himself to be an eager learner, willingly submitting himself to the leadership and direction of others whose counsel he trusted. He learned how to reach out and love those in his care, at church and at work, even those who are not always very lovable. He felt the weight and responsibility that came of not only leading a large family, but he was also so patient and gracious through the somewhat dicey process of moving his family halfway across the country to pursue full-time education. On top of all this, he walked into the pastor's college classroom as the oldest student in his class oh, <laughs> almost 18 years after his university graduation. This one anxiety he did confess during this time was the, um, the requirement to regularly write papers and essays. As it happens, engineers don't do papers. But, as with everything else, Toby applied what I call his off-the-charts work ethic to the task and his efforts were met with success. Now is the part in the story where things get a little interesting. You see, when we arrived in Louisville, we had no real idea of what we would do when our 10 months were up. We could go back to Maryland. That was the safe option. We could stay in Louisville. We had come to love it there. Or we could do something new. Now, Though there is not a path that Toby could walk past without wondering where it led, he isn't really the impulsive type. He's a rock-steady guy with a plan in place. But this time, the God-given sense of adventure that Toby has always carried within him sparkled at the idea of a new trail to follow, and that trail was leading to New England. So, for the second time in the year, we packed up the kids, still six at this point, and eight months pregnant with number seven, And we drove the 1,000 miles to make King of Grace our home. In the midst of all this change and transition, Toby could be forgiven for prioritizing his new calling above the needs of his family, but there was never a need. He has always made time for regular date nights where the two of us could enjoy each other's company, even when it meant saying no to to other opportunities. He regularly checks in with me making sure to care for my soul and our marriage by asking good questions about my Bible reading and prayer life, making himself available to discuss issues regarding our family and friends, and willingly sharing his own struggles and temptations, knowing his own need for accountability and for prayer. He even pays me the highest compliment of asking for and receiving my counsel or advice on any number of matters, which has been a great blessing to both of us. Likewise, Toby's greatest desire is for his children to know Christ and to grow in godliness. Third John verse four says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And I think this describes Toby's heart for his children very well. So many people comment on what good kids we have, and they're right, we have great kids. But like their parents, and all the rest of us, they are sinners in need of a savior. As their father, Toby takes responsi- his, seriously his responsibility to train his children in the ways and wonders of God. He reads the Bible and prays with them. He makes time to meet and talk with them about what's going on in their lives, both the everyday mundane and the big stuff. He tries to help them see their trials and temptations clearly, both by pointing them to the Word of God, by sharing his own difficulties and how he's seen God at work in his own life. Our kids know that Daddy is their champion, their safe place, and the resident fun parent, and that his hope is not for them to fulfill his aspirations for them, but for them to walk the path that God has laid before each of them with faith and obedience. So now here we are, four years later. Many of you will have seen many evidences of grace in in Toby's life his hard work, and unfailing commitment both to his full-time position and to the various roles he plays here at church, not to mention all the papers and exams he had to pass to be eligible for ordination, his delight and vision in leading our youth group, his skill in preaching, his joy in leading community group, and his willingness to help wherever and whenever. As you consider Toby's service within our church, there are some things that you should remember. He will always seek to do whatever God has given to him to do with excellence and with joy. But, being a man with limited time and resources, there may be times where he is unsuccessful in one or both of those areas. Pray for him. He hates letting people down and will probably feel worse about it than you do. Toby loves his God and his people more than anything, and he is committed to serving you. But he probably won't always do exactly what you would like quite the way you wanted in the time frame you are hoping for. So pray for him. Being an overseer is hard and he will be held accountable for his care for you. Not that anyone is likely to forget it, but Toby's got more family responsibilities than the average bear. It is his greatest desire to see his family serving the Lord and to see his children living out the truth of the gospel of Christ. Pray for him, that he would be winsome as he leads his children in the ways of God, and that he would be encouraged by their faith in Christ. In my humble, yet slightly biased opinion, Toby is the best of men. But he is still just a man. He fights the same temptations that we, to sin that we all do, and his position as a pastor will not change that. Pray for him that he would resist the temptations from the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is still so much more that I could say in praise of my sweet, sweet husband. How honored I have been to be married to him for almost 21 years, and in that time to see the many ways that God has grown him in Christlikeness. He is patient and kind. He is humble and gracious, joyful and brave. But all these things that he is now and will, by God's grace, continue to grow in is only because our good God has chosen to set his love upon this man that we celebrate today. Toby's story of grace and growth is really God's story of rescue and redemption. And it is a story that is repeated every day as men and women turn from their own wisdom and turn to follow Christ. Toby is the man that he is and a blessing to our church family because of God's work in his life. And I am so excited to share with you the story that God is writing for him. This feels like the end of a long chapter in our lives, but I am confident that some of the most exciting parts are still ahead. So darling, we have some more adventuring to do, and I cannot wait to see what's next.
0: Thanks Kelly. Well, um, we are, as a church, we're ordaining Toby today, but we are part of a family of churches that helps us in this process, that stewards the process, uh, helps us with standards, and and so we don't see ourselves as an independent church, but a connected church, Um, and so uh, we have a representative here today that's actually one of our own that we sent out and is now a Sovereign Grace pastor in Cambridge, and he's gonna represent Sovereign Grace Churches today, and bring in a charge to Toby. So I wanna invite Sean Rue to come on up and share with us.
4: (laughs) Toby will uh, never tell you this, but uh, when we were at the Sovereign Grace Pastors College, uh, one of our instructors divided us into two teams and had us run a 100 meter relay. And the winning team would be excused from a quiz. And uh, of course, we were on the same team, so we won. And, uh, but what he wouldn't tell you is that he actually ran the fastest leg of the entire class. He was the oldest in this class, but he was also the fastest. And uh, this, man, uh, this man knows how to run a race. Uh, and uh, more importantly, he knows how to run the spiritual race. Uh, in 1 Corinthians nine twenty four 24-25, Paul likens the Christian life to a race. That because we have a prize waiting for us at the finish line, that we should give ourselves to it wholly with focus and vigor and perseverance. That we're not called to a cruise for the gospel, but to a race for the gospel. And Toby, you are a runner. Uh, and it heartens me and strengthens me to be able to run alongside men like you. And it's a distinct honor for me to be able to bring this charge to you today. So please turn with me to Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. While instructing uh, Titus on how he should teach the church in Crete uh, with a lifestyle that accords with the sound doctrine that that they have been taught, Paul breaks off briefly to charge Titus himself on how he should lead uh, the church and conduct himself as a leader of the church. He writes this in chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil. say about us. Uh, The whole letter of Titus really is about uh, how the church should do good works that accord with the good news of Jesus Christ that they have come to believe. And Titus himself as a leader of the church is to be a model of these good works that he enjoys upon others. Uh, As a fourth century pastor John Chrysostom puts it, the luster of his life must be a common school of instruction, a pattern of virtue to all. So Toby, I charge you, uh, as you've already been doing, to continue to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works for King of Grace Church and for others, so that the church can look to you and say, that's how a good Christian man leads his family. So that church looks to you and say, that's how a good Christian man conducts himself in the workplace. And that's how a good Christian man loves his neighbor as himself. And since an elder of a church is called to teach sound doctrine, Paul also adds this, And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Let your teaching be marked by integrity, characterized by sincerity, not by ulterior impure motives of gain or fame. Let your teaching be characterized by dignity, characterized by uh, something that commands respect for God's Word and communicates the weight and worthiness of God's Word and that your teaching shows sound speech. Uh, the phrase translated literally means sound word. The word is the same word that Paul uses to refer to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Titus, in his letter to Titus. And the word sound is a key word in Titus that refers to something that is healthful. It's a, med- med- a medical metaphor. And so that means that there's a kind of teaching that, is, that promotes healthful doctrine a wholesome doctrine and there's a kind of teaching that promotes harmful doctrine disease doctrine sickly doctrine Toby I charge you to preach the sound word the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved that while we were still sinners Christ died for us that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification that God so loved us that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the content of your teaching must be the sound word and the manner of your teaching must be characterized by integrity and dignity so that, it says in verse 8, an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Uh, you Note know, the direct relation between verse 7 and verse 8. In verse, seven, uh, in verse 7, it says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works so that an opponent in verse 8 have nothing evil to say about us. By doing good work in all things, we make sure that the opponents of the gospel have nothing bad to say about us. But this is not, uh, this is a purpose, one of the purposes of our good works, but this is so much more than just the public uh, relations management. Right, because we've seen uh, public companies like Facebook, Wells Fargo, or Starbucks you know, get embroiled in controversies and scandals and they launch these public- publicity campaigns to, to really uh, restore their reputation and uh, ensure their bottom line. But this is so much more than that because the concern is not selfish. Paul's concern is not merely for his reputation or his bottom line, because he, like Toby, was a bivocational minister and was, it preached the gospel free of charge. Uh, nor was it concerned with protecting his personal reputation. Three times in this whole passage, at the end of each of his major exhortations, Paul provides a purpose statement that parallel each other. In verse 5, he says, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Here in verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And later in verse 10, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Paul's concerned about his good reputation, not for his own sake, but so that the word of God may not be reviled, so that the doctrine of God may be adorned and the beauty of it may be seen by those around us. Toby, I know you love the gospel. I know you love Christ though we may be considered the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, but for the sake of the gospel, because it is the only means by which people can be saved. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because the integrity of the minister affects the credibility of the gospel. For that reason, let's strive to be a model of good works and teach the sound word. Thomas Watson, who was a 17th century pastor from Toby's motherland, he writes this, so many being drunk with the wine of prosperity when the honor of God is wounded and his truths lie of bleeding are not affected by it. Did men love God? They would grieve to see his glory suffer and religion itself become a martyr. Toby, let us grieve to see God's glory suffer. Let us grieve to see Christ's gospel maligned, and let's run together with every fiber of our being to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with our life and doctrine.
0: Thank you, Sean. Now I want to invite Toby to come up and share with us a bit as we prepare to move towards vows and ordination, so.
5: Well, good morning. I am very, very grateful to mark this day with you. i grateful to God to be able to celebrate this with you, with my family, with friends, and most importantly, with my church family whom God has called me to serve. Paul asked me to speak uh, briefly this morning on my confidence and hope for pastoral ministry, uh, on that call to care and to protect God's people, to lead and to teach for growth and godliness as we run this race together in Christ. And as I do that, as I share my confidence for pastoral ministry, I hope also this informs your confidence for pastoral ministry too. And what I have to say in these few minutes is going to be very obvious. It's not going to be the last time you hear me say something obvious from up here. Um, But the pastor's job very frequently is simply to remind us of truths that we so easily forget and lose sight of. And in the case of pastoral ministry and in our growth in godliness, it is easy, I think, for me and I think for you as well, to transfer our confidence away from where it should be. And sometimes onto good things, um, but things that are not where our ground and our hope should lie. Maybe into confidence in ourselves and in our own self-effort. Maybe into programs and the activities we do. And maybe, possibly, into your pastor as well. And I'm here to tell you first and foremost, do not place your hope in me as a person. Rumor has it that one or two of you, like my accent... And I pray that God may use it as a tool for his work in any ministry he calls me to, that and anything else about me. But don't let that or anything else mislead you or misdirect you um, to place your confidence for pastoral ministry in, in me. I don't want you to confuse the servant with the one he serves. Or to use Paul's metaphor, don't confuse the gift with the giver of the gift. I had a reminder of this, and I'll share it with you, from the church that Kelly was referring to down in Maryland, where this journey started 10 years ago, when I first had a sense of calling to pastoral ministry. The pastors there very kindly gave me some opportunities to preach. And one Sunday morning, I, as I was preaching, a very good friend of mine in the congregation had two guests with him, two visitors of his, of his own. And after the service, he overheard the two of them talking, and obviously they'd heard me preach. And they thought that because of the accent and the fact that I was a guest preacher, that, um, that I was some form of celebrity pastor. Um, and they were beginning to convince themselves that I'd even seen me on, on the Internet. And, and my friend, my good friend, was very quick to correct them. And what he said was both profound and insightful. And I offer it to you. You would do well to remember this. He said to them, oh, no. No. That's just Toby. He's nobody. So, with that reminder before us, I invite us to look where God does tell us to place our confidence for pastoral ministry. And I'm going to read some verses from Philippians chapter 1, where we hear the words of a pastor to his church as to where his confidence is placed for pastoral ministry. And I hope that that informs our own as well. So I think that will be projected for us. Um, Otherwise, turn turn to Philippians chapter 1. And just a few verses, the Apostle Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. From that final verse in particular, I want to share with you my confidence and my hope for where pastoral ministry, our confidence for pastoral ministry can lie and our confidence for pastoral ministry very clearly should be in God alone our confidence for pastoral ministry is in God alone and specifically three things from that verse which give me great hope as I enter into that ministry firstly my confidence for pastoral ministry is in God for what he has started the beginning of that verse verse six tells us that our confidence is in the one who began a good work in you as I stand here and, and look out at your faces, some of, some of whom I know reasonably well, others I don't know so well, uh, all of whom I look forward to knowing better. Um, regardless of how well I know you, I can say one thing with confidence, and that is even if you are a Christian, all of us, we all had the very same starting point. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home, you had godly parents, and you can't remember a time that you didn't know Jesus Christ. Or if you didn't become a Christian until much later in life, then your earlier years, however many years those may be, looked very different to the way they do now. Or you're somewhere in that spectrum. And that's not to trivialize the importance of our different backgrounds. It, it actually adds to the richness of the tapestry of God's grace that is before us here. But it makes no difference in the sense of, at the most fundamental of levels, we all started out the same. We were all incapable of the need for spiritual life or for growth in it. So the Bible says that God doesn't look out for the best and bring those to himself. He doesn't look for those who have a religious bent. He doesn't look deep into our hearts and see which ones have got the the biggest kind of nugget of goodness in them. He doesn't weigh us on the good stuff and the bad stuff and pick those which ones the scales work out okay. He doesn't even look ahead and see which ones of us would be a good investment to to kind of sow into. As much as I would like any one of those things to be true so that I have some measure of of self-confidence to stand before God. Rather the fact that the truth that the Bible presents is much more humbling. The Bible removes any ground for us to stand before God on our own merit. Spiritual growth requires spiritual life. But the Bible describes us all as starting out as spiritually dead. Dead to God. God is the author of life and yet all of us, each and every one of us, is born thinking there is a better life without him. And we reject him. And we go off on a futile search for other sources of life. As such, each and every one of us is cut off from the fullness of life that God intended for his children. And we are subject to the right judgment of a holy God. And it means that we are all, each of us, unable either to bring ourselves back into life with God or to deal with God's judgment for our rebellion, what the Bible calls sin. Only, only God is able to breathe new life into his people. And only God is able to satisfy his justice. And the good news of the Bible, the gospel, is that through the sacrifice of his son, through Jesus Christ, giving up the fullness of his life for those who were spiritually dead, so those who place their faith in him can be forgiven and can be born again to new spiritual life. That is the good news of the gospel. And God didn't send his son because we deserved it or because we were looking for a savior. God sent him because he is full of love and kindness. Brothers and sisters of King of Grace Church, you are spiritually alive today for no other reason than the amazing grace of God who gave you faith and trust in his Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, there is great grounds for confidence for pastoral ministry. When I think of the power and love and the grace and mercy of God as he began a good work in you. So I have confidence and we can have confidence for pastoral ministry in God for what he has started but our verse also offers us confidence for pastoral ministry in what God will complete. It goes on, we can have confidence in the one who will bring his work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our verse reminds us that God's activity didn't stop 2,000 years ago in a land thousands of miles from here. But instead God is actively at work in his creation and especially in his recreated children. He doesn't simply intervene in our lives to bring new life and then leave us alone. Just like a plant that needs needs a seed for new life, so it needs continuation of food and water and light to continue to grow. And God's power at work in and through us, through our partnership in the gospel, continues to transform our lives and bear fruit in keeping with our new lives in Christ. And that means that we are all a work in progress. We are not perfect yet. And I want to tell you, I I am under no illusions as to who I will encounter in pastoral ministry. And I do not want you to be under any illusions as to who you will encounter in your pastor. We, you and I, we are works in progress. But we can choose where we place our attention. We're in the hands of the Master. He has begun a good work. And he will finish what he has started. But that doesn't mean just because God will complete his work that we don't have to sit back and do nothing, and just let God do his work. The Christian life, as Sean mentioned, the Christian life requires striving and diligence. In this same letter, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And just because God will complete his work, it doesn't mean that we don't seek God in prayer. Because, you know, he's going to do it anyway. No, brothers and sisters, we need prayer. Prayer you need me to be praying for you and i desperately i desperately need you to be praying for me again as paul goes on in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and just because god will complete his work doesn't mean that we don't use events Programs and resources in strategic ways and that God won't use those sorts of that sort of planning. In fact, in this letter, as you read through it, you see the Apostle Paul was very strategic in his efforts to continue his ministry and to grow churches. He was very careful in other men that he selected and the, the best of men he selected to send to other churches to strengthen them, to care for them. He was very intentional to make sure that churches were resourced and financed very carefully so programs have a place but all of these things are useful and they can be means of experiencing God's grace they're just not where we place our trust our confidence for pastoral ministry is in what God will complete the third and final confidence we have from that verse is for what God will continue. In this passage, I draw confidence that there are some yet in whom God hasn't started his work, but that he intends to. Just as there was a time when God started his work in you, and when he started his work in me, I trust that he has many others in whom he intends to begin his work, and that no one is beyond the reach of his power Or his arm to save. Brothers and sisters, I don't believe in lost causes, and I don't believe anyone can exhaust God's patience or God's power to save. The gospel is the good news of life saving, life transforming grace and power that God worked in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and still works. Raising spiritually dead men, children, and men and women and children to himself today. So we can have confidence, I have confidence in proclaiming the gospel and all of us living the lives that display God's work, that God will begin a good work in many more to come. So, in conclusion, my confidence for pastoral ministry and i trust yours as well will always be in god alone the one who started the one who will complete his work and the one who will continue work in others that is my confidence and i offer it as the confidence god intends all of us to have in the end no one will be under any confusion as to who i am no one will be distracted as to who's the center of attention, or we wonder, oh, is that a celebrity? And no one is going to look at you and think, oh, who's that? Brothers and sisters, at the end, there will be no confusion as to what this has all been about. There will be no doubt as to whether it was worth it. And there will be no doubt whose power and whose work brought us to that day, at the day of Jesus Christ when we will be in the presence of the living and reigning King of the universe, we will all see him in his glory and splendor and dwell with him forever. In the meantime, it is my humble privilege and my confidence in God to serve you as we draw nearer to that day. Thank you.
3: I
0: could have the uh, Pastor Jeff and Sean, Pastor Sean, come on up. We are going to have some vows that Toby will respond to, and we as a church actually will uh, have some vows to make as well. These are vows in light of Scripture, in light of, uh, of God's Word, in light of what Toby is called to as a pastor. So, Toby, I ask of you, and the answer will be, I do, these different vows as we prepare to ordain you. Do you promise to shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock? I do. Do you promise to faithfully guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer? And do you promise to protect that flock from false teaching, division, and dissension? I do. Do you promise to care for the flock of God not as a hireling, but as an under shepherd of the great shepherd, caring for his sheep as the precious ones for whom he died? I do. Do you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and this congregation, promise to preach the word in season and out of season? And do you promise to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience, enduring suffering, while remaining sober-minded in all your preaching and teaching? And will you do the work of an evangelist among those whom God has given you charge? I will. Do you declare sincerely before God that you believe all the articles and points of doctrine contained in the Sovereign Grace statement of faith fully agree with Scripture? Do you own that statement as the statement and confession of your faith, and do you promise to teach and defend these doctrines in public and private? I do. Do you promise further that if in the future you have come to reservations about any of these doctrines, you will share these reservations with your fellow elders and the Regional Assembly of Elders? I will. Do you promise to keep a close watch on yourself and to walk humbly before others, to be self-suspicious of your motives, to invite constructive criticism from others, and to make yourself accountable to those whom God has put in your life? I do. Do you submit without exception to the explicitly mandated practices of the Sovereign Grace Book of Church Order, affirming that this form of government is a wise and suitable application of scriptural principles? I do. Do you promise to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and to show yourself in all respects in action and in speech to be a model of good works, integrity, and dignity so that neither the church nor our Savior Jesus Christ nor the gospel may be brought into reproach? I do. Do you promise to continually seek the gifts of the Spirit that you might serve God's people not in the energy of the flesh but in the power of the Holy Spirit and to carry out your ministry without fear of man? I do. I would like to ask the church to stand and to respond to vows because we are receiving Toby as our pastor, this includes your your fellow elders as well, and the response to each one of these will be, we do. Do you, the people of King of Grace Church, receive Toby Gaynor as your pastor? We do. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from him with meekness and love? and to submit to him in the due Biblical exercise of his leadership? Do you promise to supply him with whatever material support he may need to fulfill his ministry among you? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his ministry and leadership for your spiritual edification, the evangelization of the lost, and the promotion of God's glory? You may be seated. Now we as elders are going to lay hands on Toby and, and set him apart for pastoral ministry. So just gather around Toby and pray. But well, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for this man. We thank you for the journey. Uh, not only the one that started in 2008, but the one that started back when you... Created him and formed him. Thank you for his parents and his family. Thank you for just all the things along the way, all the ways that you have been good, that you have helped him and protected him. Thank you, Lord, for the new life that he received in you, that, that moment where he received the good news through faith as his own. Thank you, Lord just for all the ways you cared for him. Thank you for his wonderful wife and his children. Thank you for all the people that have, along the way, been part of his life. Thank you for the ways that you have worked through these people to make him the man he is today. Um, Just as he said, he's just Toby, he's nobody, but you have been at work to create somebody, to create somebody to serve, to create somebody to depend on you, to create somebody to, to model what it looks like to have your grace at work in his life. So we thank you for him, and we receive him as a gift this morning. We pray your blessing on him, your power in his life. Thank you, Lord, for this gift.
1: And Father God, we come before you now, and we just thank you, Lord, for this gift that you have given this church. Or we just thank you for Toby. Lord, we thank you for his calling, which is so evident, Lord. We thank you for the experience of it being so crystal clear, Lord, that uh, there was just no denying him. Lord, we thank you for his character, the character that you have given him. We've heard testimony already this morning of his character. And this is from you, Lord, and we just thank you for that. And now, Lord, we do just lift him up, Lord, I pray for his uh, personal life. Lord, that you'll continue to make him a man of integrity that you'll make him a man of prayer, that you'll make him a man of humility, that you'll make him a man who loves you with all his heart, soul, might, strength, Lord, and that he will love those around him as well. Lord, we pray for his uh, family life as well. Lord, we pray for his marriage, that you'll build this up and strengthen this. Lord, we pray for his uh, role as a father for his children, for the relationship between uh, the father and the children, Lord. Just pray that you'll just bless that, Lord, Make that just, uh, just as strong uh, as it can be, Lord, and let it just be a model of your love for us. Lord, I pray for the church life, Lord, now that the role that he will be in that, Lord, I pray that he will equip us, Lord, that we might do the work. I pray that you'll give him the heart of a shepherd, Lord, one that will reach out to us, Lord, with compassion, with humility, with this uh, grace, Lord, that comes only from you lord that he might uh, just build us up so that we might become like you and lord these seeds that you have planted in his life lord we just pray that they will just grow into this great tree lord that his ministry will thrive and it will flourish lord that your holy spirit will be with him in all that he does here as a pastor and lord we just pray that he might glorify you that what he does lord as a pastor king of grace might always come back that you are glorified because of it in your name we pray
4: Heavenly Father, you are the God who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we see your grace powerfully at work in Toby's life because he has humbled himself before you. How pleased you must be to have here a son whom you have adopted entering into your service, who takes you at your word who trembles at your word, who wants to make much of Christ. God, empower him. Fill him increasingly with your spirit so that in all that he does, every time he preaches, every time he visits a home to speak truth and love to his brothers and sisters in Christ, every time he Leads a lesson in the youth group, where whatever the context might be, that people would leave their encounter with this man, remarking how wonderful Jesus Christ is, how glorious our Savior. Mm -hmm. God, we pray that today you, even more so, you would knit Toby's heart and the hearts of the King of Grace Church together mm-hmm. as the family of God. So, in this beautiful relationship, they may continue to glorify you and honor you mm-hmm. for many, many years to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, we thank you. We receive the gift of Toby. And we ask you now, Lord, as we ordain, as we set him apart for pastoral ministry through the laying on of hands, uh, according to your standards in scripture, we ask you to now empower him with your Holy Spirit, fill him afresh, Lord God, empower him to serve in pastoral ministry, we pray you heighten the gifts that he has, stir him up in those things, we pray for even new and fresh gifts from you to serve your people serve the, the call to build up the body to do the work and to do the ministry of Christ so fill him empower him and use him Lord, we look forward to all that you'll do through this brother this precious brother called to pastor and so now we together as a church set him apart for pastoral ministry we, we ordain him as a pastor in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit
2: amen, amen. 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 Thank you.
0: Well, it's fitting to conclude our time in song and in sacraments. I want to invite the worship team to come on up. Uh, We're going to celebrate communion in a few moments, too. And we invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus, to take communion. It's how we remember what he's done and given his body and blood uh, to us, sacrificing himself that we might have life in him. If you're not yet a believer, if you're not a believer, that's okay. We're glad you're here.